Well, it's right that as a, a nation we mark this quite remarkable, unique event. I remember when uh, the Queen had her golden jubilee in 2002. Uh, the thoughts were, well, she can't go on much longer. Then we had the diamond jubilee. Then we had her 90th birthday celebrations. And now we come to this I was wondering, what, what is after diamond? Did, did you know it was platinum next? And I'm starting to think now, what's after platinum? What is 80? Do, do we know what, uh, what that is? And uh, who knows whether we might well be here in 10 years' time celebrating whatever precious metal or uh, gemstone that might be. But 70 years, I wonder what you were doing. 70 years ago. It's good to have some children here this morning. I know lots have taken advantage, particularly families of the Jubilee uh, double bank holiday and gone away, and many have braved uh, to go away camping under canvas. So children who are here, what were you doing 70 years ago? Do you remember what you were doing 70 years ago? Well, I wasn't even born, believe it or not. In fact, uh, when I was born in 1957, the Queen had already been reigning for five years. She, was, uh, she became the monarch in February 1952 on the death of her father, George VI. And here we are now, June 2022, and she is 96 years old and still working 70 years in harness. The, uh, the British national anthem is quite a, a unique national anthem. Uh, it's focused around a prayer, a prayer that acknowledges God and his sovereignty and asks his gracious blessing on our sovereign. Uh, currently, it's a queen. Uh, well, it's likely, next it will be a king, and before our queen it was a king, but it is the, the monarch. They are quite remarkable words, and uh, see how this prayer has been answered. God, I won't burst into song, okay? God, addressing our most sovereign king of the universe. God, save our gracious queen. Long live our noble queen. God, save the queen. Send her victorious, happy and glorious, long to reign over us. God, save the queen. The second verse is a lovely one also. Thy choicest gifts in store. Again, praying to God Almighty. God from whom all blessings flow. I take my next breath by his permission. Uh, my heart beats. It's next time by his permission. My cells divide by his permission. Thy choicest gifts in store. On her be pleased to pour. Long may she reign. May she defend our laws and ever give us cause to sing with heart and voice, God save the Queen. So there's a, a wonderful prayer, and it's certainly been answered. God has given her uh, a blessed reign, uh, long years and a long reign, and she is still working. Many of us here, many of you, uh, have now retired, and you're looking back on your working life, and I'm sure you valued it, but now uh, you are in a period of retirement. She has not retired. I read this 
uh, recently. The Queen works very hard. In fact, <clears throat> she has worked for more than 50 hours a week for most of her working life and still works more than 40 hours. She takes her role as head of state seriously. Every day of the year, except for Christmas and Easter, she reads the red box of papers that are collected from the Prime Minister's office and other key government departments, including the security services. She is referred to as reader number one. Every week she meets the Prime Minister and she's seen 16 so far. I heard one person say she's tolerated 16 so far. She does not determine policy, but she makes her constitutional right and duty to express her views on government matters. She takes it seriously, usually through a series of questions. No one has ever reported the content of these weekly meetings, but many of her prime ministers have stated publicly how helpful they have found them. Apart from that, the Queen deals with hundreds of papers and pieces of correspondence every week. She also has a heavy schedule of visits, while some are official state visits designed to develop goodwill and increase trade. Many simply involve her doing quite ordinary jobs, going to places to celebrate good works of all kinds in business, manufacturing, and charities, senior citizens, care homes, youth development, music, the arts. She has an amazing ability to show genuine interest with whoever she is with, wherever she goes. The Queen works hard because she is committed to service. I googled it and she has visited 110 different countries. She has travelled children, listen to this, over 1.2 million miles on the state duties. Now, 1.2 million miles. Do you know how far it is to the moon? It's a quarter of a million miles to the moon. So the, the Queen has travelled the equivalent of to the moon and back two times in serving this country. Our Queen enjoys a very high public approval rating. A recent survey said that 80% of the population approve of her conduct. There are 9% who disapprove and 11% who weren't quite too sure. Now, 80%, let's compare that with our current Prime Minister, 26% approve of his current performance. Let's be balanced now, the Leader of the Opposition. What's his approval rating? Well, 30% of those questioned approve of his performance. But for the Queen, 80% approval rating. We believe she does her job and she does it very, very well. Her character, a steadfastness, um, the wonderful way she has conducted herself. In an interview with Andrew Marr recently, uh, he said this. She has had a grueling travel and work schedule for over 70 years. But, he points this out, there are no reliable record recorded incidents of the Queen, listen to this now, 70 years of service, 
Don't know how long you were in your job, if you're in your current job now, but she's been in her job 70 years. There are no reliable incidents of the Queen in those 70 years ever losing her temper, using bad language, or refusing to carry out a duty expected of her. Her character. Her character. Listen to this then as well. Indeed, one of the most remarkable things about the Queen is her consistency of character. Despite, now note this, unprecedented levels of relentless media scrutiny for those entire 70 years, there has never been a whiff of scandal about the Queen herself. Isn't that quite something? I was uh, watching a programme on Friday evening. It was the lighting of the, the beacon, beacons, and we had a little beacon at Pildy as well. I went out to the back garden and got a few twigs together and uh, lit a beacon uh, myself. But uh, they were interviewing that particular evening the pop singer Lulu. Remember Lulu from the 1960s? And she said this, In 70 years, the Queen has never embarrassed us. Never. Never. And I think it is quite remarkable that we're able to say that, that we have a monarch who has never embarrassed us. How has anybody managed to keep on going like this for 70 years? Well, she puts it down to one thing in particular, and it is her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. She is very clear about her personal Christian faith. She has had 16 prime ministers who've come and gone, who have had weekly audiences with her, and she has kept those confidences. She has not divulged her thoughts about those prime ministers. How do you think the Queen might vote in a general election? Do you know, I think it's quite remarkable. I wouldn't have a clue. I wouldn't have a clue. Now, as a pastor, assistant pastor here now, I was a pastor for 21 years in, in St. Melanie's Baptist Church. Um, there are times, I mean, my wife would uh, say, stop, stop doing that, don't, don't say that, where I might give away my political leanings. I, I don't know if you might have a clue here this morning. I think in private conversation, I think uh, with, with Wynne, we've had private conversations, and he might know my political inclinations. But really, for a, a pastor, we, we ought to be uh, above politics. And the Queen is certainly above politics. Uh, one of the great blessings is that she is entirely apolitical. And let's not pursue that one uh, too, too far. But she has never divulged her thoughts publicly on these issues. But about Jesus Christ... She's not ashamed. She's not embarrassed. She is very, very clear. Here's uh, something she said herself in 2002. I know just how much I rely on my faith to guide me through the good times and the bad. Each day is a new beginning. I know that the only way to live my life is to try to do what is right, to take the long view, to give him my best in all that the day brings and to put my trust in God. 
I draw strength from the message of hope in the Christian gospel. Do you know, every Sunday, our sovereign attends church. With some people, they might say, oh, I'm just too busy. This lady is remarkably busy, but every Sunday, she attends a service of worship. When at Sandringham, uh, she takes herself, she drives the car herself and goes to the service at Sandringham and gets out and attends and sits in an ordinary pew with the people there. Her faith is very, very clear. The Christmas messages that come every Christmas day, of course they are pre-recorded, but she makes very, very clear on those occasions just what it is that she believes. At the millennium, the year 1999, it was about to turn to be the year 2000, here's what she said. Christmas is the traditional, if not the actual, birthday of a man who was destined to change the course of our history. And today we are celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ was born 2,000 years ago. This is the true millennium anniversary. The simple facts of Jesus' life give us a little clue as to the influence he was to have on the world. As a boy, he learnt his father's trade as a carpenter. Then he became a preacher, recruiting 12 supporters to help him. But his ministry only lasted a few years, and he himself never wrote anything down. In his early 30s, he was arrested, tortured, and crucified with two criminals. His death might have been the end of the story, but then came the resurrection, and with it the foundation of the Christian faith. In 2008, she said this, Our greatest need. If our greatest need was for information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If it were money, he would have sent an economist. If it were pleasure, he would have sent an entertainer. But, said the Queen, our greatest need is the forgiveness of sins. So, he sent us a saviour. Very, very clear. Our greatest need this morning, let me echo that. There are many problems in the world, many pressing needs, many situations, personally, nationally, family-wide, internationally, globally. But our greatest need is to know sins forgiven, peace with God, and the certainty of heaven to come. Now, do you have that? The Queen would say, I would echo, the Bible says, it is possible this morning to leave this place knowing you have a clean slate before God, sins are forgiven, peace with God, and the certainty of heaven to come. My friends, if you're a visitor here, you're invited to the buffet afterwards. Do make your way through. Room will be made for you. But that buffet will come to an end. But far more importantly, you are invited to heaven. But you're not fit to go there because of sin. Heaven is glorious. But there is one. And God sent him 
And Her Majesty echoes it. He came 2,000 years ago. We had the ultimate royal visit. Jesus Christ, the second person of the one triune God, left the glory of heaven, sent by the Father in the power of the Spirit to do you and I good. He came to take away our biggest problem. We can't do it ourselves. Morality won't do it. How good do you have to be for God? What's the entrance mark for heaven? Well, it's 100% purity. And we cannot deliver. And if I could from now on live a perfect life, I wouldn't get very far, but I've got my bad record dragging behind me. And there's no way I can go to that great banquet that lasts forever and forever. But in the gospel, says the Queen, in the gospel, says this preacher here this morning, sins can be forgiven and you can have peace with God and you can know that you are going home to heaven. Let's focus back on the Queen again for a moment and then we're going to come to a conclusion and focus on the way, the truth and the life. The Queen, of course, has a level of power and uh, the Queen has great wealth, one of the wealthiest women uh, in the world. At her coronation on the 2nd of June, 1953, first of all, she was given certain symbols of power. And I think we've got a picture of the Queen coming up with her symbols of power. Here she is, children and adults too, as a young woman at her coronation. This was the 2nd of June, 1953, and there she is, seated on a throne. She has the King Edward I crown on her head. It was actually made uh, in 1662 at the restoration of the monarchy. Uh, when um, King Charles I lost his head, the then crown jewels were melted down and sold off. And, uh, but at the restoration of the monarchy, new crown was made, and she holds in her hand uh, an orb, and now she also has a scepter. Let's have a picture of the, the crown, I think. We've got a picture of the crown itself. Here it is, the Edward I crown. And uh, the jewels on there are quite astonishing. And then we've got the orb, a symbol uh, of uh, authority. There it is, a golden orb, again, jewel encrusted. And then the, the scepter, here it is, a symbol of power. Uh, that she holds. Now, children, you can see in the top there's a, a diamond. Have you ever seen a diamond like that? When you get home, perhaps, ask your mum to show her, to show you her diamond in her engagement ring. Now, when Joe and I got engaged in uh, 1979, I was a, a poor student and uh, I had to ask my dad if I could borrow some money to go out and buy uh, an engagement ring. And I took uh, Jill with me, went to Cone in Lancashire. Was it Nelson High Street? That's right. We went to Argos, and uh, she wasn't very impressed uh, by, by that. But eventually, anyway, I, could, I did afford a ring. I think we went to a little jeweler, and uh, she still got the, the ring. But later on in life, I bought her another one because you need a microscope to find the diamond in my wife's actual engagement ring, but the, but the one in the scepter there that uh, you saw a moment ago, 530 carats, uh, the largest pure diamond in the world, 
It's known as the Culloden Number no. 1 diamond, and it alone is worth £400 million. Pounds. And the crown jewels there, the crown, the scepter, and the orb, are reckoned to be worth 5000 million, a real symbol of wealth and of power. But on her coronation, she was given something else, and this she was able to keep. The crown jewels are not hers. She can wear them while she's the queen. She can't put them on eBay. She can't sell them. But uh, this most precious gift, she called it the most precious gift she received that day, is a symbol of wisdom, and it was a Bible. A Bible. And she looks to live her life by the Bible. What can we build our lives upon? This world is changing so constantly. Governments change. Kingdoms rise and fall. The national boundaries change. The, the climate changes. What is I change? Change and decay in all around I see. I mean, I, I've, I've reached the stage now where um, I look at myself in the mirror and I think, who's that? Who's that? I don't write. Inside, I still feel I'm in my 20s. And there's a skip in my heart, the joy. And uh, it was lovely yesterday. We had a garden party in our home. And lots of you were able to come along. And the sun came out most unexpectedly. But there was one gentleman there. Now, he's certainly in his 80s now. And we had a game of cricket. And he, uh, oh boy, he had a good, a good cover drive. And the ball shot off into the covers. And he shot off. Uh, doing a run. Well, I thought, dear me, steady on, steady on. You see, he was still thinking he was in his 20s. But everything changes. What, what is the one constant? Our queen is no constant. But the Bible, the Word of God, and the person it points us to is the one great, unchanging, constant. He is the immutable God. There's a big term, immutable he cannot change. He cannot change. He will not change. Every promise he makes is a cast iron guaranteed promise. These are no fairy stories. This is the very word of God who cannot change. He cannot retract any part of his word. And we can build our lives upon the person who's revealed here the Lord Jesus Christ. So in conclusion this morning, when the Queen was asked her favourite Bible passage, she said, well, it's the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. So let me briefly look at some highlights from this wonderful story told by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, people get this story very, very wrong. They think the point that Jesus was making is... How should I live my life? I should be a good Samaritan. Well, fair enough, there, there is that on the surface. And they, they, they say, well, the parables are tell us how we need to conduct ourselves. Actually, the parable is there to show us it's impossible for us to conduct ourselves in a way that's acceptable to God. It's there to show us how poor we really are. So here's the parable. It starts with a lawyer. He's a, a religious lawyer. He knows the Old Testament law. And he stands up and he says to Jesus, he's got a good question. What must I do to get to heaven? What must I do to inherit 
eternal life? Well, it's a very good question, but there's a flaw even in the question. You see, he's thinking he can do something. And maybe you're here this morning thinking, well, uh, I'm, I'm good enough for God. I was speaking to a young man a few months ago. We had a walk around Hendra Lake near our home. He'd been coming to church with his wife, who'd been recently converted. And uh, I, I said to him, listen now, if you were to die now, don't want to be morbid, he's only in his 20s anyway. If you were to die now, w- would you go to heaven? And he said, why, I hope so. There's a problem there. You see, the Christian can say, I, I know I'm going to heaven. Uh, So what's your hope built on? Well, I'm trying my best. My friends, your best is not good enough. There's a problem. Heaven is pure. If you are to know heaven, you need a pure life. And this man thinks he can do something. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus turns the tables on him. Well, you know the law. You're the lawyer. What does the law say? What says the lawyer? He gives a very good answer. What he does is he summarizes the Ten Commandments. There's God's moral law, the Ten Commandments. And the lawyer sums them up and he says, well, I I need to love God with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength, all my my might. And I need to love my neighbor in the same way that I love myself. And Jesus says, you've answered very well. Do that and you shall live. Love God. Gee, I, I could say to you that I, I love God. And you'd think, well, I, I can't disprove that. Here he is in church, and he says he reads his Bible, he says he says his prayers, uh, he, he loves God. But how do you really know I do love God? Well, if I really love God, it means I will love other people. It's got to pour out to, to others. And the real proof that you do love God is that you do love your neighbour. So the the lawyer's got it right. I need to love God and I need to love my neighbor. But here's the problem. The lawyer has got a very narrow definition of neighbor. Here's the lawyer's definition of neighbor. Any good Jew who I know and happen to get along with, they're the ones I need to love in the same way I love myself. So to counteract that, Jesus gives this parable, because the lawyer says, now, who who is my neighbour? Who do I have to love in the same way I love myself? So Jesus gives the parable. Uh, Here is a man, he's a Jew. He's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He falls among robbers who beat him up and strip him and leave him half dead in the gutter. Uh, Along comes a priest, and he sees him, but he passes by. Why would he pass by? I don't know him. He is not my neighbor. Next along comes a Levite, who does a little bit better. He sees him and goes across and has a good look and a poke around. No, I don't know him. So he too passes by. Then along comes a Samaritan. And if the Jew in the gutter has any life and just opens half an eye Uh, he thinks oh no here comes a Samaritan now the Jews and Samaritans just didn't get along there was a great enmity between them 
And uh, as the Samaritan comes up to the Jew, the Jews expect your good kicking because he is a Samaritan. Oh no, I'm at his mercy. But quite the opposite. The Samaritan goes up to him, sees him, has compassion on him. He doesn't know him. There's no body. He sees his knee. There's compassion. He dresses his wounds. He puts him on his own donkey. He takes him to the local... uh, well, I was going to say travel lodge. Maybe it's even a bit more grander than, than that. Maybe it's a local Celtic manor and he, he, he puts him in, in a room there. There's a special offer on maybe and uh, he, he gets dinner, bed and breakfast and uh, he settled in his, his room. Uh, and before the Samaritan moves on, he says, oh, well, here's, here's my, my debit card number. Uh, any excess? Then you, you just take it. And then Jesus says, to the lawyer, which of these three was a neighbour to the one in need? Oh, the, the one who had compassion on him. Yes, is Jesus. You go and do likewise. And what's the point of the story? Who is my neighbour? Who do I have to love? What's the standard for heaven? I have to love, in the same way I love myself, anybody who crosses my path. Now, who can do that? Who can do that? We all fail and fall short of the glory of God. That, my friend, is why we need a saviour. That's why Jesus came. That's why we had this awesome royal visit 2,000 years ago in the days of Herod the king. Angels from the realms of glory sang about it. It was planned in eternity past, even before the fall. God saw us. He pitied us in the gutter of sin. He knew where we were heading. He knew that morality wouldn't help us. He knows that religion won't help us. Because religion says, try your best. And our best isn't good enough. So he sent a saviour. My friend, this morning, have you been saved by the saviour? If you're not saved, you need to get saved. How do I do that, you might say? Repent of what you are. Repent of what you've done. Because you do bad things because you've got a bad heart. It's sin. We sin because we are sinners. And trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. What has he done for me? Two things. This is what he's done for you. He lived a perfect life. Because you can't do it. He did it for you. He represents you. He's willing to represent you. And then at the end of his life, As the Queen said here, he was arrested and beaten and tortured and nailed to a cross. What's he doing there? Paying the price for your sin. And it wasn't the physical suffering that cancelled our sin. Because on the cross, in the economy of God, planned in eternity past, God the Father poured out on his own Son the wrath that you and I deserve. The wage of sin is death. Physical, spiritual and eternal. But God doesn't want us to have that. So he sent his son to take it for us. He took the weight of our sin, the equivalent of eternal hell for millions of people, was there on Calvary 2,000 years ago. And he died. And he was buried. But as the queen said, it wasn't the end. And on the third day, up from the grave he arose, proving him to be who he claimed to be and proving that his work works. And here, 2,000 years later, what must you do to be saved. Trust in Jesus, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the Queen's reign will end at some point. 
She's the longest reigning queen in the world, the longest reigning monarch in British history, but she's the, not the longest reigning monarch that there's ever been. That belongs to a Frenchman, and I think she aims to beat it. Louis XIV became king at the age of three. And he reigned for 72 years and a few days. Our queen now has 70 years and about 100 days. I think maybe she has something in mind. But whatever, it's going to come to an end. And there will be change. But King Jesus reigns forever and forever and forever, and what a king. For the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. You, my friend, are invited to heaven. Let me finish with this. In uh, 2014, John and I had the privilege, is the, that final picture there? We received through the post an invitation uh, from the Lord Chamberlain. He was commanded by the Queen, to invite myself and my wife to a garden party at Buckingham Palace. And here's the original. I've kept it eight years later. It's nice and clean uh, still. And oh, what a day it was. And this suit I'm wearing today is what I wore for the Queen's garden party on that uh, occasion. It was a lovely, lovely time, four till six o'clock. And uh, we had the invitation the invitation says this in the bottom corner. This card does not admit. The letter explained, I had to reply. I had to reply. I had to respond, RSVP. You are invited, but I needed to respond. If I just rolled up to Buckingham Palace holding this card, having not responded, I would not have got in. In the Bible, there's an invitation for you to come to heaven. It's a genuine invitation. Come to the banquet. Come to heaven. You, whoever you are, you are invited. It's no good rolling up with a Bible. You need to respond. And when you respond, repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ, your name is added to a list and will never ever be removed. The records will never be lost and you will be expected at that great banquet that lasts forever and forever. So we give thanks to God for the reign of our gracious Queen. But supremely, we give thanks to God for His Son, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just to say... I've got a number of copies of this special production of uh, John's Gospel, The Life of Jesus Christ, as told by the Spirit through the disciple John. It's got a lovely picture of the Queen. It's got the national anthem in the back. It's got a few helpful hints on how to read the Bible as well. Uh, if you are a visitor and you'd like one, please do ask me. Any children here this morning who'd like one to remember the Queen's Platinum Jubilee, come and see me and get one of these from me afterwards. Let's pray briefly together. Father, thank you for this special time. Thank you for time to think about our Queen, but most of all to think about our greatest, greatest need met by our Saviour, Jesus Christ, to think about Him. 
We pray for us as your people. You'd help us to keep on looking to Jesus. And for any here this morning who are not yet saved, oh, by your mercy, may they enter the kingdom of heaven, repentance towards God, faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we have a final uh, hymn. Again, it's a pretty well-known one about the reign of Jesus Christ. Jesus shall reign where'er the sun does his successive journeys run. We'll stand and sing.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forevermore. Amen.